In our study of the book of Revelation, we have now come to the 22nd and final chapter of the book. It begins thusly, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever." That is uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. I can hardly imagine a more densely compacted portion of Scripture, because it truly is a summary of so many things we've seen before. And this is the marvelous thing about the book of Revelation. It is a summary of the entire Scriptures. Um, and more than just a, um, a recapitulation of what had been previously said, beginning in the book of Genesis, it contains the mature applications of types and shadows as you would suspect. Everything that has been said in, the, in, in and throughout the entire scriptures have the underlying premise of a revelation, if you like, let there be light, a revelation of the nature of God, of who God is, a revelation of the intents of God, a revelation even of the methodologies of God, and such. To, I'm amused, frankly, to read many of the commentaries on the book of Revelation, because they seem oblivious to these facts about the book, and more to the point, they do not seem to relate at all to the duality of Scripture. In fact, Scripture seems to have three particular formats of understanding. One is the natural understanding of things. So, a lamb is a lamb is a lamb. Water is water is water. So there's a natural understanding. And that's mostly where even scholars of Scripture stay. 
But there's another understanding and it comes in two parts. One is what I would like to call a descending understanding to that second part, a descending, a natural understanding is the first part. The second part is a descending or progressive revelation consistent with the view that God knows the end of every matter from the beginning. And in this progressive revelation, although there is really nothing new if viewed from the angle or from the vantage point of the end known from the beginning, everything that comes is consistent with the end that is known from the beginning. However, the progressive uh, revelation of these things takes on various forms at various times. For example, I mentioned a lamb is a lamb is a lamb. That is a natural understanding. So Abraham offered lambs like Cain offered a lamb, uh, like Moses offered a lamb and Israel continued to offer lambs. That's the natural understanding. If you live in those times of just purely natural understanding, you can only know about natural understanding. The Apostle Paul spoke of the fact that God ordains the times and seasons in which men, persons live, in which persons dwell and the metrons or measures of rule and the the circumferences of their movements, where they are to go during the course of their lives, uh, what is the epoch in which they live and so on. So if you live in the day when there's only a natural understanding available, then there's a natural understanding, that's all you, that's all you know and that's, therefore that's all you're accountable for. When another revelation comes, such as when Jesus came and John the Baptist declared Him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then the natural natural understanding moves to that intermediate revelation that now vastly distorts by way of upgrading what your understanding is and what the order is in relationship to the thing. So for example, they killed lambs in a particular fashion. Uh, The priest typically in time of, of Moses, the priest typically examined the lamb to determine it that it was whether or not it was suitable to be offered. So he examined the lamb. Uh, according to the, the, what the priest was required to do, the examination was meant to determine if the lamb had no spot, wrinkle or blemish. A blemish would be like a broken leg or um, a damaged eye or uh, even the, the hide of the lamb being torn up by maybe a predator or, uh, um, or even mis, uh, mishandled, 
So the lamb had to be perfect. The priest had the duty to examine and declare whether or not the lamb, the proposed sacrificed lamb or the proposed lamb to be sacrificed was perfect in that regard. Once he determined that, then he had to determine, priest had to determine, um, well, he had to take the second action and that was to wash the lamb. And then finally, uh, having done so, the lamb was ready to be offered. In that intermediate time, there is a bridge between the natural and the spiritual that is not easy to understand just at first blush. Because when Jesus came, for example, as the lamb predestined to be offered, The, the matter of the transposition of understanding about the Lamb was clearly and squarely implicated. If one were to understand that at that time, and rarely would anyone at the time understand because they were still occupied with the rational perspectives on the Lamb and making it very difficult for them to make that transition in their thinking to this intermediate stage. But that's exactly what the, the qualified priest, John the Baptist, he was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth and he was a super clean priest. What I mean by that is he had taken, a vow, uh, taken the vow of a Nazarite in which he was extraordinarily above and beyond what was required of the priest. He was clean in that way, um, having taken the vow of a Nazarite. And here my intent is not to drill deeply into the various points of, of, of any of these matters, but to show you the progression from a natural understanding all the way to the intended understanding which is the understanding that was in the mind of God before He even started the creation. And the book of Revelation obviously in the final stages bring us to that which was in the mind of God before He even started creation now becoming available, now becoming the dominant reality. Everything has to move on this ark, but most people don't understand that, so they're stuck with a natural understanding. I doubt that John the Baptist understood that he was doing exactly what the priest should have done with the lamb to examine it first. Well, in the examination of Jesus, John the Baptist, the super clean Nazarite vowed priest, whose father before him offered the sacrifices, this priest said to Jesus, the lamb, consistent with what a priest would do examining a lamb, he said, I have need to be baptized of you. I have need to be washed by you. Why are you coming to me to be baptized? 
And Jesus, fully knowing what this was all about, responded, allow it to be so now. In other words, even if you don't understand, go along with it because it becomes us. And the us there is John and Jesus, the priest and the sacrifice. It becomes us to fulfill all of the requirements of righteousness. Because Jesus understood the cleansing or the washing was in anticipation of an offering being made to God that was pure, that was without blemish, that was not by force but by intention. All these things and many more qualifications or qualities would attend Jesus the Lamb. These were all set up from the time of the book of Leviticus and even before that in the oral traditions that allowed the patriarchs to offer uh, lambs as sacrifices to set this whole matter up. So John baptized Jesus and as I said, other than being moved to fulfill the requirements of righteousness, it is doubtful that John himself understood what was altogether apparent to Jesus, namely that Jesus knew that Jesus was the Lamb. It was not until after John had baptized Jesus, some 41 days after the event, that it dawned on him or that, or that actually John understood at the point where Jesus had come up out of the water, so ex post facto, after he had been baptized, John understood seeing the Spirit of God descend on John in the form of a dove, uh, I'm sorry, descend on Jesus in the form of a dove and alighted on him after John had baptized him. John said that he understood from that because God had said to him, upon whomever you see the Holy Spirit descend and remain, he it is that you were sent to announce as the Lamb of God. But he didn't have an opportunity to do it then because Jesus was immediately, according to Matthew 4.1, Jesus was immediately taken by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and he remained there for 40 days. On the 41st day, he returned out of the wilderness and was going by where John was baptizing. That's when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John had an ex post facto both confirmation and understanding that Jesus was the Lamb. Jesus knew He was the Lamb and He would, three and a half years later, He would be crucified consistent with the pre-creation covenant in which the Lamb was required to be slain, if you like, from the foundations of the world. Now at that point we had the intermediate 
occurrence. The transition from the natural lamb and lambs in general to a man who is the Lamb of God. And with that, a massive change. All that was done in connection with physical four-footed lambs being offered, all of that was now subsumed, contained within the bigger picture of the Lamb of God. But, but, and the book of Revelation is largely responsible in my estimation for our understanding of this progression. Here you have an intermediate progression because the lamb is still a man on the earth to be sacrificed and when that occurs, the bridge between the intentions of God to be fully realized in creation and the types and shadows that kept it connected to the culture, that bridge would be fully established and a new order would be brought in, pay attention to this, that would take over 2,000 years to be fully revealed. Because although Jesus is the Lamb and did do all of what He did, as God, uh, by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God, what was introduced was an exponentialization of God's intention within creation. And that exponentialization would be that the natural, having died, would be replaced by the spiritual and the spiritual would begin and and continue an ever-expanding version of what is now the reality. So once you have the Lamb who is a man, all of the natural order, order of lambs being sacrificed rolled up now into that reality and that becomes the dominant reality and completely does away with the necessity for offering physical lambs. But it introduces the concept of the spiritual man, Christ, who is now capable of being demonstrably relevant to all the ages through his body. So everyone connected to Christ, assembled to a spiritual man, from now on lives a life of sacrifice. He would receive in the individual and there would be governing the corporate body, the Spirit of God whose intentions would be revealed to the individual and revealed to the corporate man for the continuing life upon the earth 
until the end of this age. And then it changes again. So the body of Christ would be sealed on earth. The body of Christ would be located in heaven under the altar from the naos of God, from the temple of God, being, being made the temple of God, the, the, lo- the locus in quo, both in heaven and on earth, in which God would be worshipped. A reasonable sacrifice, which is central to the concept of worship, sacrifices, central to the concept of worship, as opposed to singing or carrying religious relics or religious iconography. The sacrifice of worship that is acceptable to God is that we present ourselves as Jesus did, living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God. So the same washing, purification, the same examination without spot, wrinkle, or blemish in order to be offered so that who Christ himself actually is and what he came to reveal about the Father might be a continuing presentation to all mankind as long as this world lasts. But when this world comes to an end, when this age closes, there is a continuing revelation of the Lamb and those who, quote, follow the Lamb. My point is that the book of Revelation takes us beyond human life and this age into two two distinct periods of time. The one that begins with the return of the Lord and lasts a thousand years and the age that begins when the thousand years is over. And one of the reasons it takes a thousand years, we've talked much about what is to be accomplished in the thousand years. Once that thousand years are finished, all manner of things that prevented the final expression of divine intentionality are also completed. And the progression of that which represents the unfolding plan of God to include a people having been on the earth now for a thousand years throughout that period known as the millennium, which ends with the destruction of Satan and with the judgment of the unrighteous, for the righteous are not judged, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life and they've passed from death to life and their judgment is that they were included in Christ. That select group now begins the age that is, that is characterized by this statement. Then shall he, the Lord Jesus, 
hand up the kingdom to the Father and God will be all in all. The 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation begins to show us this all in all. The marvelous thing about the book of Revelation is how perfectly symmetrical it is and the nature of this symmetry of tying everything together from the book of Genesis all the way through the prophets, all the way through the gospels, up to the very end of the age. So, he showed me a pure river of water of life. The book of Genesis opens with water. The book of Revelation closes with water. The book of, Revelation, the book of Genesis opens with God creating the heavens and the earth. The book of Revelation closes the picture where heaven and earth become one. And in this new configuration, never before to have experienced, at the end of the millennium, the dwelling place of God is now a people. A people described with the kind of certainty that is established by looking at all of the different types, shadows, references, things such as light, things such as a firmament dividing the heavens and the earth, things such as water, and so on. They meet in this final chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, that describes a people who are entirely in new people, removed altogether from the sins of the past, from the ways of rebellion of prior ages of mankind, and dwell in the mid dwell in, in a condition in which the, the living God and the Lamb dwell in the midst of them, a people whose names are, quote, written in the Lamb's book of life because they represent the genealogical record, the Lamb's book of life represents the genealogical record of this new creation. The people who have been assembled to the Lamb as His body, who have gone through the earth's processes, of being living sacrifices who are identified by the nature and character of God as the brightness of His glory and the exact representation of His person, suitably addressed as the bride of Christ, the one in whom the Word of God produced a likeness to Christ that fulfills the original intent, which was God saying, let us make a man in our image after our likeness. And now we know from the book of Revelation that the purpose for that was to carry 
the superlative expression of the glory of God in them as a corporate entity. Corporate entity known collectively by the designation of Jesus Christ Himself, the progenitor or patent son who introduces the earth to a race known as the sons of God. The first Adam was called a son of God but in his disobedience abdicated both the responsibility and the place of rule of being a son of God, being that representative son. God knew that and in the end always planned to bring the true son, the one who is last but is first, and in that son all of the fullness of the Godhead would be put on display not only now in the age of man, not only in the age of the millennium, but in final, complete and inexhaustible eternal reference forever and ever, from age to age, for age upon age, for endless ages, the, the, the dwelling place of God being the body of Christ, what, God, what Christ hands up to the Father and what the Father chooses to inhabit according to what He foreordained so that He's all in all. Now that's what we're introduced to in the final chapter of the book of Revelation, that final state. So we'll pull it apart as we go through and we'll at the same time, we'll summarize the Scriptures as the book of Revelation has so thoroughly done. I'm Sam Solon and I invite you to continue as we finish up the study of the book of Revelation. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.